Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Uh, we're kicking off a new series today. Uh, if you've been around Celebration Church for a while, you know I love wordplay. And, and so, and as you see, free reign up there, you know, you're immediately going to say, Pastor, you spelled it wrong. And uh, I know we spelled it wrong. It's not the horse term. Um, it, it is this concept. And we're going to be looking at the, the tension that's found and the idea that we are fully free Um, But that freedom is really found in coming under the lordship of Jesus. And that seems to feel like that those are two uh, opposing forces. But as we get into the scriptures and particularly as we dive into uh, the book of Galatians that we're going to be spending the next few weeks looking at, uh, we're going to see that that actually that these things connect and marry together absolutely uh, perfectly. So if you've got your, uh, got your bulletin open, you got your app, however it is, you're going to c- click along with our notes that we're leading off with this idea that in Christ we are free. Christ has made us free. But it's not this freedom where we just run around and just, you know, and, and create havoc for ourselves and others. Um, God points us towards life. And if we're going to live the abundance of life, we're going to have to go where he points us to go. So we are free to live under the reign of Jesus. Now, we, for us to actually be what it's supposed to be, uh, we have to have the freedom to be able to choose. See, freedom to choose to submit, to come under and allow him to reign, then that is this place where there, it involves trust. It, it involves this place uh, of connection. It involves re- this thing of relationship. If there is no freedom to submit, if there's no freedom to choose to come under the rule and the authority, then all of a sudden, then, then now that is oppression. That is now a dictatorship. That is now God coming in or whoever coming in and forcing his will upon us. And God is powerful. God could do it that way, but that's not what God wants. God doesn't want to just get us all to line up and finally behave right. If that was what he wanted, he could have accomplished that a long time ago. What he's wanted is he wants loving relationships with us. You were created to be in a loving relationship with God. That is the ultimate highest call of each of our lives is to be in a loving relationship with God. And the only way that can exist is if we have the freedom to not love. That's the only way that goes is if we have the freedom to go our own way. But God so loved us that he demonstrated his love, not that his love was a response to us going, hey, big guy up there, we think you're pretty cool, you're pretty awesome, you made all this amazing stuff, and you know, and you made me, and I'm really thankful for that, and God's like, oh, you know, you know, appreciate that, you know, I think in response to that, I'm gonna do something pretty cool for you, and actually, I'm gonna like have my son die for your sins now, and a response to our love. No, it says that while we we're yet sinners. While we didn't care, Christ died for us. That's the demonstration of his love, that it was not in response to anything we did. Love is not this, you do this and I'll do that. 
Love is just this, I care for you and I am pouring this out and guess what? You can take advantage of it. If love can't be taken advantage of, it's not love. It is some sort of conditional contract. And so God wants us to be able to, to choose to allow him to come in and, and bring this place of, of wholeness and restoration into our lives, to lead us into, into the fullness of life, but we have to choose him as Lord. So we have this place of free, and we have this place of him reigning. And it seems like an oxymoron, and here in the South, we're kind of used to oxymorons. You know, you go to the steakhouse, and you cut into it, and they cooked it just right, and you put it in your mouth, and you go, man, that's awful good. Was it awful or is it good? I don't know. In the South, it's awful good. And so and you, somebody buys a, a, a car that needs a little bit of love, and you're like, man, buddy, I, that car of yours is pretty ugly. And I'm uh, like, well, is it pretty or is it ugly? We, we, we have these oxymorons at work um, all the time. Good grief, old news, small crowd, negative growth, and uh, you know, I was going to tell the joke, but I'm not going to tell the joke of cowboy victory. But, you know, I'm sorry, that's still too fresh. So, so I, decided to not, I, decided, I decided to not tell that oxymoron joke. I didn't tell it, by the way. And, um, and so, but there's this place, this tension where these things that just don't seem to go together, but actually they connect and free reign it's one of those. Free reign is this place where we actually grow into our, the fullness of the freedom as we allow him to reign in our lives. Before we get into Galatians, which was written by Paul, I want to read another thing just to get Paul's perspective on some things. About his second letter to the people of Corinth. And let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. It says, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We're going to pause right there. Now, there's a lot of different ways you can reference Jesus. You can call him Jesus. You can call him Christ. You can call him the Messiah. You can call him Lord. And Paul could have referenced any of those things. The Holy Spirit inspiring Paul to write could have referenced any of those things. In Acts, it talks about we, the, the spirit of Jesus led us. We could have said the spirit of, where the spirit of Jesus is there, is, there is freedom. But that's not what the Holy Spirit had penned. It's not what the Holy Spirit had written. It's where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Where we invite him to be Lord, where we invite him to reign, and we can come under his authority, that's where the freedom actually exists. And it seems to be contrary, but that is actually where it, it, it finds. And, and we need to understand that it's understanding and connecting with him. Not even necessarily his ways, but connecting with God. Paul goes on to write and says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, this unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. It's, it's, we can kind of get lost in the language right there. But first off, the unveiled faces is a reference to Moses. Him, Moses, having gone up on Mount Sinai, he was in direct presence with God. He, the, he came back and his face 
according to the scriptures, glowed. And the glory of God was on him, but it was getting a little less every day. So he put a veil over himself so people would quit kind of like checking his glory level. You know, like every day they're looking at him. Oh, Moses, kind of fading away there, buddy. And, and so he just like let them quit looking at him. He just put a veil. He's like, just quit, quit looking at me. And until it just fully faded. And, but this is, tells us that we can remove it. We don't have to hide ourselves so many times we don't want people inspecting our lives. We don't want them looking. How is your life in Christ going? We're like, don't, 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 don't look, don't, don't check, you know? It's my own business. But this is saying that in Christ, because of what he has done in our lives, we can, go, we can be open about it. We can be, you know what? God, guess what? I'm not perfect, but man, God's at work in me. And be able to allow people to connect on those places. And so when we, when we quit feeling like we've got to hide our lives, and what God's doing in our lives, we can contemplate the Lord's glory. This Lord, it, contemplate means to look at and to consider. To look at and consider. To look at and consider God's glory. Who he really is, his, his face. And as we do that, that's where the verse following that talks about the life change. That's when we are changed into his image. As we look at his image, think about his goodness, think about who he is, that is where the life change is. And so many times we can think the life change comes from looking at ourselves and going, oh my goodness, this is what I need to fix. A lot of times we can think it's that little uh, two-year-old who got sent to the corner and you need to go over there and sit in the corner and you need to think about what you've done. And you need to contemplate how you have messed up. And so many times we think that that is what's going to happen to us if we can begin to connect with God. That all of a sudden God's like, you know, you really need to take a pretty good look at yourself. And you really need to have an idea what you need to fix. And then you can maybe, maybe please me. No, he's invited us to gaze into him. Begin to look into him. That's why we talk about knowing God better and trusting him more. Not understanding ourselves better so that we can change better. It's understanding him better so that that changes us. Yeah. Understanding who he is begins to have its impact on our lives. As we begin to look at him, that begins to change. And there's tensions, there's issues. There are things that need to be addressed in our lives. And a lot of times we want to get into those little things instead of allowing that connection with him to be the change in our lives. Years ago, in fact, Keenan, who's 26 years old, um, was still in a little car carrier and I was able to carry him around. And um, Cutie and I were newly married in our first couple of years of marriage um, in ministry and just going full bore. I was still a full-time student at ASU. I had a full-time job with the church. Um, was in our church's school of ministry and had the brilliant idea to start a youth school of ministry that I was the instructor of. And so, and then had youth ministry, all, all this stuff. So our calendar was full. Um, we had one vehicle. I dominated it. My wife was was, you know, stuck with Keenan all day, you know, that, that's a stretch all by itself, and ask Beth, and so, and, uh, and so, but she was, the, it created just life, created tension, being new at this marriage thing, created tension, and so in the middle of the tension, uh, she's like, you know, we need to, we need to talk to Pastor John, um, I'm here, I'm going to tell you, um, Relationships matter. Relationships are vital. Um, if you're having problems, you're having tension, 
um, in your relationships, and particularly in your marriage. Get some help. Get some help. I'm so grateful for all of the times. This is not the only time that Cutie and I sat down with another person, sat down with a pastor, sat down with somebody, and got some help in our marriage. So, oh my goodness, the pastor has marriage counseling. Yeah, that's why we're here all these years later. That's why we're still together, because we've had to have help people help get through the, the, the tough points of two intelligent people figuring out how to do life together and having our own will and our own ideas on things. And, and so we go in, and there was tension. She had her things. I had my things. And we have, you know, Keenan in the, in the car seat and set him down on Pastor John's couch. And um, so I was just, we were just ready for Pastor John to just start, like, you know, pretty much telling Cutie where she's wrong. She just needed to get on board with me. I mean, that, that's what I was there for, you know. You know, Pastor John fixed this woman, you know. And, um, and so, and she was there to say, Pastor John, fix, fix this employee of yours. And, um, and so as we're sitting down, have our own stuff um, to deal with, he takes his chair and takes one of the chairs in his office and sets it down, has cutie set in it, takes a chair, sits it right in front of it, has me set in it, has our, makes sure our knees are touching. In fact, he had us connect our knees just a little bit. We're just in each other's space. And then he says, okay, I need you to hold hands and just looking at each other and had us interlock our fingers. And we were just both sitting there. And I thought she was going to like start mercy in me or something. <laughs> and so, and uh, so we were sitting there and we we're interlocking. And uh, he said, okay, I need y'all to just look in each other's eyes. Do not say a word. I need you to just look in, in each other's eyes. And then he gets up and he grabs Keenan and he goes out of his office and he just leaves us there, just staring at each other's eyes and just looking at each other. And I saw on the other side of those eyes, that fire of why we were there. I saw the anger. I saw the places of pain I had caused. I saw the places of all of that. It was there. She I'm sure saw the same stuff in me. And as we sat there and just look, not hashing out our differences, not expressing our points of view, just looking each other in the face, this person I loved, the person she loved, and just staring at each other in the face. A couple of minutes, so in that instant, a couple of minutes into this, and then all of a sudden, we're just tears start just coming down. I haven't said a word. She hasn't said a word. That glow in our eyes shifted, not from fire of anger, but this place of just remembering why we were together to begin with. And we just looking in each other's face, it just began to just shift. And by the time he walks back into the, into the room, we've not said a word. We've not hashed out. There's still stuff to deal with. There's still stuff to talk about. But the position we were going to come at it from was not two adversaries trying to gain ground with each other or get the other one to submit, but two people who loved one another and remembered what that love looked like. And out of a place of love, then the other stuff can be dealt with as we contemplated each other in that space, as we looked into one another's eyes and thought about one another 
things began to shift. That is what God has called us into. He wants to meet with us face to face. He wants to connect with us. He wants us to look into his face. Not some sort of list of rules and stuff that we somehow we think we're supposed to do. All of our own brokenness. He's not holding up a mirror and saying, look at how much you've failed. Look at where you've blown it. Because I guarantee you, if Pastor John would have sat there, that's exactly where the conversation would have gone with the two of us. Well, she does this, and she does this, and he does this, and... All the places we needed to fix so that we might could do life together. Religion holds up a list that says if you're dare to kind of be, do life with God, you better fix this, 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 and this. If you dare to try to take on his name, you better fix this, 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 and this. And God broke all of that forever. And he said, I've already called you mine. Please call me yours. Look full into my face. Look full into that. And if you begin to contemplate my love for you, it will change you. As you look into his glory, it will change you. That is what this whole thing is an invitation to have a relationship with God. Not to figure out all of the check marks we need to figure out in our lives. But to really connect with the fullness of who he is and what he wants to accomplish in us. Not us to accomplish for him, but what he wants to accomplish in us. And we start from a place of relationship. We're not trying to achieve relationship. We start from a place of relationship. We start from a place of, of being his child of sonship. Let's, now let's get into Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, Sent not from men nor from man, but by Jesus Christ and the God and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God and the Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He leads off reminding the people of Galatia what has already transpired, that God was in Christ rescuing us. Jesus didn't come to eventually rescue us. We're not here to, us, to be a part of our own rescue. We're not here doing church things. We're not looking at the Bible to be a part of our own rescue. We're not sitting here saying, God, I've tied a good knot around me. You can go ahead and pull me up now. No, it is he did all the rescuing. We come from a place that sin and death are handled, and now we are fully his. Now, does that mean that we are fully transformed yet? No. But we are fully alive and we are fully his. And we're not trying to achieve a relationship with God. We're not trying to make sure we don't walk away and, and somehow lose our status as a child of God. That we are his children and that is it. Having seven kids, I sure hope my kids never got out of bed in the morning saying, man, if I straighten my, straighten my room, they obviously didn't think it because they didn't do it. And so... 
Um, but say, you know, I clean my room and I make my bed and I keep everything straight and I carry out the trash and do the dishes. And maybe at the end of the day, my dad will go, you know what? You're still a Clark. Good job. You're still a Clark. See how this goes tomorrow. No, whether they made their bed or not, whether they carried out the trash or not, they were still a Clark. And they were asked to make their bed and asked to carry out the trash, not as the thing to be able, you know what, you better pull your weight around here. It's no, you're a part of the family. You're a part, you get to be a part of the well-being and the health of the family. It's not you're going to do your thing, you're going to pull your part, you're going to pull your weight around here. No, it's, guess what, you get to be a part of the well-being of the family. The house feels better when the bed's made. The house smells better when the trash is carried out. You're going to be a part of the well-being because you are part of it. It's yours. And we need to understand that, that our life in Christ is not us sitting here saying, thank you, God, so much for adopting me. I had my moment of salvation. And, Lord, I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to do all my stuff, and I'm going to watch the kind of language I use, and I'm going to delete those apps from my phone, and I'm going to do all of this stuff. And at the end of the day, I hope you still want me. No, he has chosen us. He's chosen us when we didn't choose him. That's the beauty of the gospel is he came after us first. We are fully rescued and we have to receive it. It's 100% by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, and says, and now without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. Faith is it. Trusting that he loves us is it. If we get any kind of works, those works aren't going to please him. And the book of Galatians was written, Paul wrote it, to fix false teaching. All the way back then, we tend to think that false teaching is something that's, that's more relevant for today. But as fresh as the gospel was in the day of Paul, false teaching came in right there with it. It was immediate. The enemy has always tried to, to mess up and mask just the beauty of the grace of God, that God was in Christ pursuing us, not counting our sins against us. That is the gospel. It's not that the gospel isn't. Guess what? You're gonna be able to have an opportunity to get saved. If you'll just do this, 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 and this, then God will forgive you. No, the gospel is God's forgiven you. God's not counting your sins against you. Do you believe that? That's it, the gospel is it's been accomplished. Not it can be accomplished. It's accomplished. That's the good news. And the truth is, is are you going to believe it or not? Are you going to embrace it or not? Well, that it's already done. Because if we don't embrace what he's accomplished for us, then we default back to religion, which is man's attempt to please God by adhering to rules. We default back into it. And that's where Christianity becomes a religion, where Christianity becomes this place where we simply try to come in and do God's job for him. Galatians chapter one, verse six says, I am astonished that you are so quickly desert, deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. I'm 
I am astonished that you're deserting the one who called you and turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. If it is not that it's by Jesus who did it and sustains it, well, then it's not good news. How frustrating would it be to say, okay, there's something only Christ could have accomplished, which is salvation. But now you have to be the one who holds that up, okay? All of a sudden, here's this weight that only the strongest man in the world could get off the ground. He got it off the ground, hold it up. No, the good news is it's that it's Jesus first to last. It is Jesus all the way. This perverted gospel is that God did all of this for you. He, he smiled on you. He gave this little thing. And now you better sustain it with your good works and your good behavior. No, we live in it by embracing the life change that he brings. Should life change? Absolutely. Why do we want to get caught in the same destructive patterns? If we see he's the truth, we'll see that our own willfulness brings pain to us and to others. Why would we not embrace some sort of life change? Why would we not at least in our head and heart want it? Because we see going our own way hurts us and others. It does. When we begin to embrace the truth of who he is and what he's accomplished, that's where life change can really happen. So as we get into the problem of religion, that religion brings two things. It brings confusion or it'll bring pride. Confusion says, I have no idea what's going on. And pride says, I've got it going on. And both of those things are a place where, where religion will create this thing. Galatians chapter 1 verse 7. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. This is, honestly, this is some pretty harsh language. So that let, let this guy be eternally condemned. It's, it's, he's, Paul is being very, very pointed with his language. But here's the thing is that the gospel has always had from even back in the Bible times, this place where this good news that there would be these forces that would try to twist it and pervert it. And as we move forward through the book of Galatians, we'll see that what they have embraced is this idea of justification of being right with God because of the good works they do, of getting back into the law of keeping a list of rules. And he says, that is no gospel at all. Should there be life chains? A absolutely. Should we look more like Christ as we move forward? Absolutely. But that is only comes by the spirit of God. It doesn't come from a list of rules that we adhere to. See, religion provides a system of measurement and false comfort and those things bring this place of pride. All of a sudden, we begin to see and make sure all of our lives measure up. And we tend to only measure what we tend to feel like is going to go well for us. So, guys, you ever notice uh, 
walk and know when you're about to see a mirror. You're gonna walk into a walk and look in a mirror. Just about every guy I know, they make the mental decision they're gonna look in a mirror. <laughs> Posture changes, shoulders go back, flex your pecs a little bit. Like, hmm, man, cutie's pretty blessed. <laughs> then I walk away from the mirror and I look like this, all hunched over and normal, a little bit of gut hanging over. I don't look up in there and go, ooh, cutie's blessed. Somebody's blessed. Somebody's been a little overblessed. Somebody needs to dial back on the blessing. And so, but when we go to look in the mirror every time, it's like, hmm, yeah. I have caught myself and where I felt my skeletal muscles firing up and shifting because there was the presence of a mirror. My subconscious knew that there was a mirror present and I might look at it and it's disappointing to see my normal self. And so I fix it as best I can. And they're like, yeah, all right, that's okay. 47 ain't so bad. And so, but it, it does it over and over and over again. That's all religion does is it gives us these little metrics where we can go and, and check off the little boxes and I'll look at this part of my life, not how patient am I with the person who irritates me the most, not am I being able to be more loving with the, the people that I try to avoid in life, not how judgmental am I are people who make a different kind of choices and live a different kind of life than me, not the things that really are gonna matter, but I can go, you know what? I, I feel good about this, this, and this, and this in my life with God, I'm doing pretty good. And we do, that's all religion does is gives us a framework to feel artificially good about ourselves or potentially artificially bad. We need to make sure that we don't step into that space. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, we did not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. Give them the old pat on the back. When, we measure them, when they measure themselves by themselves, and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. That's what religion does. It says, man, I'm better than them. Or man, oh, this guy's so holy, I'm not doing so good. And we begin to do it, and it says that kind of comparison isn't wise. Cutie and I, years ago, got to go to a pastor's conference, and it was the last pastor's conference held by an incredible man of God. Um, he had pastored for 70 uh, plus years, had, had helped reach uh, nation after nation around the globe, raised up and funded tons of missionaries, had just done a ton for the kingdom. There's about 1,800 ministers sitting in this space as he's just been in this conference, been pouring into the next generation. Little did we know that was his last pastor's conference um, and he would pass away before the, before the next one. And um, he is well up in years and he's sitting in a chair on the stage in one of these sessions and is just taking some Q&A, just some questions and answer. And, and us pastors were able to just fill out some stuff. He wasn't gonna get to all of them. And he, he had a bucket with these questions and he would just reach in and he'd pull a question out and read it um, and then answer it. And so he was doing that. It was a lot of wisdom being downloaded, a lot of good practical stuff that some of the other pastors had wanted. And then he gets to the question uh, that asked this, um, how much uh, do you read the Bible every day? 
and he reads the question out loud. He says, how much do I read the Bible every day? And he said, I'm not going to answer that question. He said, because only one or two things is going to happen. He says, if I read the Bible more than you, um, then you're going to get under condemnation and you're going to have to feel like you're going to have to do something to be able to step up to whatever it is that I do. He said, or if you read the Bible more than me, then you're going to feel unjustly better. And all of a sudden, I'm doing more than I need to, to be doing. Maybe you pull it back or maybe you just feel extra good about yourself. He said, the question is, is what is the Holy Spirit telling you that you need to do? The only one that can answer that question is the, is the Holy Spirit. He said, so I'm not going to give you a metric to measure yourself by on that because it will only be dangerous. And it's just so thankful. And that, that piece of wisdom has just, just shaped me from that point forward. I just never forgot because even with us ministers who are supposed to understand the fullness of the gospel and what, what this looks like, we want to bring these little religious measurements into it. Am I doing enough? And I want to take God and the Holy Spirit out of the picture and I want to examine it myself. And I want to decide if I'm doing enough myself. Yes, I did this. Yes, I did. Oh, I didn't do that. I'll do better tomorrow. And not just be in the presence of God and allow him to do it. In verse 10 of Galatians 1, Paul says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were trying to still, still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. And here is the, the human we can begin to try to please the most, and that's us. All of a sudden, religiousness allows us to please ourselves. Yes, I've done enough. Yes, I've checked these boxes. Yes, I've done that. Instead of setting all of it aside and saying, God, I'm your servant. What do you want me to do? What is needful today? Maybe it's a little extra time in prayer. I've had times where the Holy Spirit has prompted me, Brandon, quit, your, your sermon's fine. Quit, stay out of the word. You need, this, you need to spend some time with this person. You need to love on this person. You need to follow up with this person. Park your scriptures and spend some time with loving on some people. Now remember this post, I'm supposed to love God and love others. And so many times I can get so wrapped up in trying to love God, all of a sudden I forget he wants me to love other people too. And so I have to be a servant of God, and if I have my checklist, then all of a sudden I can now decide if I'm doing that well or not. See, religion is humanity reaching to God, but Christianity is God reaching humanity. Religion is God, us reaching out, trying. Christianity is it's done. God has reached us. He has fully accomplished it <clears throat> in Christ. And religion focuses on the external, but Christianity focuses on the internal. It looks at what's happening on the inside, that that is the most important part. See, all religion just looks at the external. Are you doing this? Are you doing that? God, only the Holy Spirit can get to the heart of the matter. We just kicked off a new series over in youth ministry on Wednesday called Into Out, which is talking about that what's on the inside is what really really matters and and with that we had some fun and and just visually demonstrating that when pressure comes then what's on the inside is going to come out and it's going to make a difference it's going it's going to make an impact 
See, no matter what it is, when the pressure comes, what's on the inside, it's gonna come out. And we had a little fun with that. And all of us uh, over 40 crowd see uh, watermelon get smashed and immediately think Gallagher. And so that's totally where I stole the gag. And, um, but with that, that the inside is what matters. That is the place of transformation. Galatians <clears throat> chapter one, verse 11 says, I want you to know brothers that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Paul was, Paul was a religious fundamentalist terrorist. He was. He was motivated by religious fundamentalism and killed people over it. That was what Paul was until he met the, the author of life. And then we see, it says, but when God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Said he revealed his son in me, not just to me. I just didn't see it on the outside. He revealed it in me. It says, and they only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. See, only the Holy Spirit can do the transformation on the inside to take a man who would go to kill people who disagreed with him and transform him into a person who would die to reach people who disagreed with him. Only the Holy Spirit can do that kind of change and that happens on the inside. That is where the real transformation comes from. Our bottom line today is when we let Jesus reign, we will not stay the same. That is the truth inviting him to reign in our life, understanding we have the freedom to let him reign. That is where real life transformation takes place, letting him be Lord and letting his love shape us and change us into his image. Yes, there'll be things we walk away from. Yes, there'll be new things we begin, but it's not about religion. It's about the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us. See, we are free to live under the loving reign of Jesus. And I want to create a quiet moment right here that maybe, maybe you've thought all this time that this was about, that it was a, that it was a hundred percent about what you had to do for God. You've been on the edges thinking, I'm not ready to try to live perfectly. So I'm not quite ready to step into Christianity I've got too many mistakes, I've got too many things, I'm not doing this well and I just can't do this. I, I will save my start for another day when I feel like I can do it. But today you realize that's not what this is about at all. That it's about God demonstrating his love for you, that he loves you and now he wants to start something in you. He's not asking you to start something in him, he wants to do something in you. 
And that's breathe new life, the life only he can give and the life only he can sustain. And today you see this isn't about you agreeing to start something you Thanks can't Thanks for sustain, listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. Something that only we hope you'll can. stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.